There is like nothing that makes me feel like more like the holidays are truly upon us than the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Like that is it for me. Like, like there is nothing like the smell of the deep fried turkey being made, the smell of like the, the green bean casserole, like just the, 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 the Thanksgiving scents coming out of the kitchen as I am parked on the couch, I'm just realizing how this sounds. As I'm parked, sitting on the couch, watching that parade. And then I'm always, you know, like, kids, come in, you have to see this part. And they're like, no, we're helping cook dinner. I'm like, no, let everybody else do that. Come on in. No. You know, but you come in, like, you watch all the, you know, all, you, you just, I just love it. I, I just absolutely love it. And I don't love all, like, the stops where people go into the, you know, all the songs and everything like that. I just want the parade, I want the floats. I want all of that, but like there is something that happens. Like when Santa Claus comes down 34th Street and he's waving at the crowd, I don't know that it matters how old you are. Like in that moment to me, I turned into like six years old. I'm like screaming out, it's Santa! Like I'm like super stoked. I'm always telling the girls, I'm like, you know, all these other Santas, they just work for that Santa because that one, that's the real Santa right there. I know it is. And I just, I get so excited about it. It just, it just all of a sudden feels like now this is Christmas. Now we're at the holidays. Now this is like what it's all about. And so maybe you're there. Maybe you're like beginning to get in this like Christmas mood. Maybe you're starting to anticipate Thanksgiving like that. But before we get to that, like before we get to the parades, before we get to the food, before we get to the feasting that we're going to talk about next week, I want to talk about another part of Thanksgiving today. And as I reflected on it, as I started to think about it, I was thinking about how this part of Thanksgiving is a perfect illustration of what we're talking about with Sabbath. Because a huge part of Thanksgiving and a huge part of the Sabbath is being thankful for what we've been given, right? Pausing to recognize the blessings in our lives and recognizing that we have more than we need, right? And this is really what we talk about is really what Sabbath is all about. It's pausing. It's taking a moment to reflect on the provision of God in our lives and realizing that we have more than we could ever need, that God continues to bless us over and over Again, and that should be taking place every week if we're practicing Sabbath. And then that should take place on Thanksgiving because we've set apart this special time to reflect and to be thankful, to recognize God's provision in our life. But something happens. Something I think takes place on Sabbath. This is something that I think definitely takes place on Thanksgiving. And that is apparently, it seems to me, that that idea of being thankful for what we're given, that feeling doesn't really seem to stick around. When the next day arrives, whether it's Monday or whether this week it's Good Friday, we're tempted to forsake the blessings of enough for a desire for more. Listen to this. We, we're, I wrote this down because I think this is so critical. We're tempted to forsake the blessing of enough for a desire for more as we trade the contentment of what we have for the desire of what we want. And this couldn't be more obvious. Like, this is so clear 
in that dichotomy of a one-day swing that takes place from Thanksgiving to Black Friday. I mean, it's really crazy when you think about it, that we sit down with our families, we sit down together, and somebody says, let's go around the table and say what we're thankful for. And we begin to reflect on God's provision in our lives, we begin to reflect on what we're thankful for in our lives, then dinner ends, maybe folks go to watch football or we do something else, and everybody's like, so, what Black Friday deals do we have going on tomorrow? And we just like pivot, and it's so crazy when you think about it because it should be shocking to our system, but we become so used to it. We have created, we, if you think about it, we have forsaken the rhythm of being thankful for this rhythm where we go, thanks, what else can I get? Thanks, what else do I want? Thanks, what else do I think that I need? So now hear, hear me out. Maybe you're not participating in Black Friday, and I'm absolutely, I want you to hear this. I'm not judging you if you are. There are deals to be had. There are people who, for whatever reason, love to get up as early as possible, and it becomes like a tradition in your family. I think that's super cool. Like, if it's a tradition in your family to get up and to go and to fight with crowds and get on videos where you're punching people in Walmart trying to grab whatever is the latest thing, like, I get it. Like, that's a thing, right? Maybe you're just going to watch. Like, that seems, like, pretty fun too, right? But if that's you, this is crazy. If that's you, if you're, if you're in the, 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 the I'm going for the shopping for the deals part, you are most likely in the shopping minority. Because listen to this. This is crazy. According to research... The top three considerations for Black Friday shoppers are fast, free delivery, and store pickup. So it is not how much is it, how can I get it, it's is it fast, is it free delivery, or can I just stop and pick it up? So the questions are how can I get it, and how fast can I get it? Sort of like our culture and the success of Amazon. How, how, fa- how can I get it? And how fast can I? Have you ever gone? Have <laughs> you ever gone on Amazon and you go to get something and it shows up in your cart and then your cart splits, right? And it's like, oh, this will come tomorrow. Or like sometimes I'll have one that'll be like, this will come at six o'clock this afternoon. I'm like, what is happening right now? Like this will come at eight. Uh, this is going to come in two days. And I'm like, two days? That's way too long. And then I delete it, and I'm like, I can go find it somewhere else. And then I go back to it, and I go, I can't find it somewhere else in two days. I'll have to, Justin, I'll have to wait. Unacceptable. How can I wait for this? I can't wait for that. Yeah, that's why I'm paying for Prime. I'm paying for it to come at three in the afternoon. This is what I'm doing, right? This is how our brains think. And so we've become this. How, how can I get it? How fast can I get it? These are the questions. And guys, this is really crazy. This research is insane. The people asking those questions are apparently 80% of the population. So if you want to look around this room and judge each other, realize that there are 80% of people in this room are going to go out on Black Friday, even though, and I love this quote, I love this statistic, 62% of those 80, 62% of the 80% that will go shopping believe that Black Friday is a scam just to get them to spend more money. You can't make this stuff up. So 80% of people are going to go participate in Black Friday, even though 60% of them think that it's a scam just to get them to spend more money. 
American culture is fascinating. And listen to this, though. Spend money. They, we, will. Retail industry experts expect that almost $60 billion will be spent on Black Friday, but it doesn't end there. The biggest day in online retail is coming up, Cyber Monday, a few days after that. Another 10 to $20 billion will be spent on that day. So I wrote this down because I started thinking about this, and this might sound a little bit cynical, but apparently giving thanks on Thanksgiving leads us to spending our brains out on Black Friday until Cyber Monday on things that we think we need. I mean, it's kind of weird. It is really kind of a weird thing that we have created. This culture, we set aside an entire day to give thanks, and then 80% of us go out and spend our brains out on stuff that we think we now need that apparently we don't have. And I've talked about this kind of stuff before because this is, this is culture. This is, this is what we kind of fight with in culture, I think, sometimes. We're supposed to be people of thankfulness. I mean, as followers of Jesus, that's absolutely what we should have as hearts of thankfulness. And I think this kind of mentality can short-circuit us if we're not careful. But man, there was something as I was researching this and thinking about this and looking at this as the series was coming to this week was the realization that on Thanksgiving, we're sort of having like a mini Sabbath leading up to the Sabbath. We're having a day of thanks that then should take us into a weekend of being thankful, a weekend of Thanksgiving. But instead, we have a weekend of getting and getting and getting and spending and spending and spending that is literally taking place during the heart of the Sabbath. So if you remember, if you think about this, we talked about that in the ancient world, the Israelite people and Jews today continue to practice Sabbath on sundown on Friday night and continue it through the weekend and continue on and have this, this Sabbath that continues for a full 24 hours. But if you look at how we're doing this, we are legitimately right in the middle of that just saying, no, we do this instead. And it sets up this really crazy dichotomy of thankfulness and spending, thankfulness and spending. So what we're really invited into, and this series has pointed this out, is that it should, Sabbath shouldn't look like that. Sabbath is, for us, really a three-day invitation into rest. I talked about last week that the coolest thing we discovered in this series was that because of Jesus, Sabbath did not move from Saturday to Sunday. That Sabbath has always been about us coming to the end of the week, giving that time to God. And then what we recognized through Jesus was that Jesus is the fulfillment of Sabbath. He is the ultimate rest and gives us the ultimate rest that we look forward to in eternity. And we celebrate that on Sunday because of the resurrection of Jesus. Because in that moment, God showed in his power and his goodness and his grace, he showed through the resurrection of Jesus that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that, that he brings true life. And so we don't just switch a day, we get an extra time. We get extra time to celebrate that reality. 
So we come through the Sabbath rest. We come through the thanksgiving for what God has given in our lives. And then on Sunday morning, we wake up with the reality that God has given us the ultimate gift through Jesus. And in his resurrection, the power of his life-giving reality that is alive within each and every one of us. And that is why worship is a celebration. Worship is a celebration of that continuation and that reality that he is Lord of the Sabbath. It's, it's such a cool reality when you look at it. So in this reality, in this time, in this set of days we're supposed to be walking into, this sense of rhythm, this, this reality of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, into the rhythm of these hours and days, now, listen to this. I'm, I want to go to a passage here. And we see this, and, and we talked about this last week, that we see this rhythm that he wants to give us. We see this in the words of Jesus. In Matthew 11, it said this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And we learned something last week about this passage. This passage is not just Jesus saying to us, if you're tired, if you're worn out, you know, come to me. I think there's an aspect of that. No, no doubt there is a piece to that, that, that as our hearts are heavy, we hear that Jesus is saying, come to me, come find rest in me. And we should hear that piece. But at the end of this, he says, I will give you rest. And that word is so significant, because what we learned last week is that's really Jesus announcing that he is announcing the reality of eternal rest. He is saying that the, the idea of eternal rest that the Sabbath is pointing to is found in him. And if you want to find true rest, find Jesus. So this is a declaration of Jesus saying, rest isn't found just in that rhythm. Rest isn't found in a day. Rest isn't just found in the practices. He says, rest is found in me. And just like everything that comes with Jesus, He always ends up turning things around. So rather than doing things to experience the blessings of God, we experience the blessings of God and then we do things. So we respond to who Jesus is and we want to live out the grace of his life within us. So we don't live out the Sabbath and go, well, maybe if I just live this the right way, Jesus will accept me. We say, but because of who Jesus is, because of his life, his death, his resurrection, because of his Holy Spirit, because of his grace and his mercy, because I can walk in the way of Jesus, I will live out the reality of his Sabbath. See, that's what grace is all about. It's not about trying to get in good with God. It's becoming who God wanted you to be because of the goodness of God. And that's such a totally different reality for our culture. Now, the problem with our culture, to come back to this idea that we've been talking about, is the, ac- the accumulation of more and supposedly better stuff puts us on a treadmill that breaks all of that rhythm. So, so here you are. You're following Jesus. You're into this grace. You're into his mercy. You're into, his, into this natural reality of giving thanks, of moving to this place of saying, I am thankful for what you have done for me. But what ends up happening is our culture pulls us in a totally different direction. We've talked about this before, that there, there is this idea that, that we, we, we are, are wanting to go this way. We're wanting to follow the way of Jesus, but there is this pull 
towards a different way of life. So this pool over here is the way of Jesus that feels like goodness. It feels like rest. It feels like grace. It feels like pause. It feels just that, that idea. Come to me if you're weary and burdened. Come and find rest. Yet for some reason, and I don't know why we all do this, because I know that I do this, is that we forsake this, we kind of push this away, and we jump on this other thing that is sort of a treadmill of life that is exhausting, that never stops, that is about more getting, more uh, accumulating, more wanting the stuff that's over here. And what's fascinating about it is Jesus talks about this. He says, this stuff over here, and we know this, this stuff over here is eternal, it's forever. You can't have enough grace. Grace never gets old, it never gets out of date. It never, grace, grace never uh, loses favor. Uh, mercy, you, you can never have enough mercy in your life. There's not a latest model of mercy that comes out and so you trade in the other model of mercy. Acceptance and love and, and, and um, you know, all of these things that we look at with Jesus. The, it has always been and it always will be. But over here on this side, on this treadmill of life, at the end of this, you get to what you thought you wanted, and there's always something better. We were watching Home Alone, and I love Home Alone. But I, I, lo I love when, um, and I don't remember which Robert it is, uh, Marv, and what's the other guy's name? Uh, Harry. He looks at the house and he says, this is why we work this neighborhood. When I saw that house, I wanted it. And you like see, like, wow, like, it's not, you, it, even our kids don't, like, that's not his house. But he's like, when I laid my eyes on that thing, I wanted it. And he starts talking about what's inside it. And he's like, he's like, high-end stereo gear, VCRs. And I'm like, I just dumped that stuff off at Goodwill because I don't need it anymore. He could go right now and get himself a VCR, but back then that was state of the art, right? But here's the thing, as soon as Harry steals it, it's probably already four years old. This is, a, this, is a, this is an American family. They've had this stuff for a while. It's already going to the dump anyways. Then he's going to get it and be like, well, I thought this was state of the art. It's not state of the art, man. It's already four years old. He's going to be really upset when he looks and he realizes Black Friday's come. Wait, it's already been Black Friday, whatever. And he realizes there's already a better one coming out. But this is what we do. Like, we literally do this all the time just get one more you just keep chasing it and what are we doing now this is not unique to us all throughout history just so you know people who could afford stuff bought stuff and if we're honest no matter where we are in life we all are people who can afford stuff and who can buy stuff all of us. We might be at different income levels. We might be at different places. But there are reasons that there are Targets and Walmarts and Home Depots because we can go and we can buy things. And all throughout history, people who could afford stuff bought stuff. And one day, someone like that who owned a lot of stuff just like us and who could buy more stuff came to Jesus and asked him a question. And Jesus' response to this question is gonna help fill in the aspect of this Sabbath, this dichotomy between being thankful and always wanting more. Listen to what happens, I love this story. It says, just then a man came up to Jesus and he asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? 
And Jesus answered a couple verses later, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, a couple notes about this. Before we get too far down this path, not everyone receives the same challenge from Jesus. If we looked at the people that Jesus called to follow him, he offered different, different challenges to them because there were things in their lives that they needed to let go of to be able to follow Jesus. For every single one of us, there is something in our lives. We, know, we all know what it is. I don't know what it is in your life, but there is always something in our lives that always feels like we're dragging it in to the way of Jesus. And those things are sometimes the hardest things to let go of in our lives. But we all have something like this. For this guy, it was that he had all these possessions. He had the ability to get stuff and he kept buying stuff. He had an accumulation of wealth and he kept adding to it. This man had a problem with wealth and possessions. And simply put, if this man was going to experience what Jesus wanted to give him, he would have to learn how to practice contentment. So some of us have this thing and if we want to truly experience, truly experience walking with Jesus, we have to let go. And for this man, he had to enter a place of contentment. He had to let go of always wanting more. Jesus continued on, and I love this. He told the disciples, those who are rich... Those who have the ability to satisfy once, and there's all kinds of definitions for rich, but can we agree on that definition today? Rich in this definition is the ability to satisfy once will struggle to accept Jesus's invitation. Jesus says, if you are rich, if you have the ability to satisfy those once in our lives, it is going to be hard for you to accept the invitation to follow Jesus. And then he says, it's kind of like the struggle of trying to shove a camel through the eye of a needle. Now, I had a conversation with a friend about this because there's always been people trying to teach this in all kinds of ways. And I probably taught this at one time and it probably wasn't true. And they would teach it, you know, maybe there was like a gate that a camel had to go through. And, you know, maybe he had to drop all his stuff and then he could wiggle his way through. And while that sounds nice, it's probably not true because there weren't any gates like that. It is most likely that Jesus is actually taking this from other rabbis and teachers of the ancient world who would say the same thing. This is hard like trying to shove a camel through the eye of a needle, a really small hole. And then we say, well, what's the point of that? That it's really hard. That's the point of that. I have never tried to shove a camel through a needle, but I would imagine it would be really difficult. So I don't think Jesus is saying, I want you to try to find a way to sort of circumvent this a little bit, to come up with some sneaky way and something that makes you feel better about accumulating wealth. I think Jesus is being straight up here. It is going to be hard. And if you don't come to a place of accepting contentment in your life, you may never follow Jesus. I think he's being pretty straightforward here. 
The ability to practice being discontented. <laughs> so think about this. There's a practice of contentment and there's a practice of not contentment. He says, if you have practiced discontentedness, you're going to put up a wall on the road of following Jesus into the kind of life that could bring us trust and peace and tranquility. Jesus says it in a different way uh, in the book of Luke. In Luke 12, 15, he says this. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. I love it. Jesus is straightforward. Watch out. Be on your guard. Like, be ready. Because it's going to hit you. All kinds of greed. Man, this is, again, why it's so hard for us to advertise on Facebook. Because every company in the world is advertising on Facebook. And they're not trying to tell people about things like free pictures of Santa. They're trying to tell you about the things that you think you want or the things that you think you need that you may already have that you didn't even know you had because you got it last year and you forgot about it, so you buy it again. Because it's in the storage unit that we all filled up because we just kept buying more stuff. And don't tell me you haven't done it because I know I've done it. I forgot I bought that on Amazon last year. Where did that come from? Can I still take this back? You know, we, we have a tendency to do that. And that's what he's talking about here. Be on your lookout. Greed comes in all kinds of form then. So advertisers know this. Advertisers do a couple things. They show us envy, right? They want us to be, feel like we have an envy towards other people who have things. It's why ads that sell, you know, fancy cars have good-looking people, man. If they had people like me in the car, we wouldn't sell any cars. This is why you got John Hamm driving around. Because you're like, man, I want to be John Hamm or I want to be with John Hamm. All right, what's another one? Entitlement. You deserve this. This get, guitar players are always like this, man. I saw an ad for a pedal board. You see the Fender pedal board? It's like $1,600. And it's like, you deserve this because you can have this kind of tone too. Man, I can't play good enough to have that kind of tone, y'all. But I feel like I'm entitled to have that kind of tone. I'm not that good of a guitar player, but I, want, I feel like I'm entitled, right? Then there's comparison. Again, probably why John Hamm's in the car commercials, because you're comparing yourself to want to be like this person. This is the classic, you can be like Mike. Don't you want to be like Mike? Don't you want Air Jordans? You can dunk too. This is the way things have been forever. But that greed that we find in envy, entitlement, comparison, it all has the same end goal. An abundance of stuff to try our numb, to try to try to numb our want for more. Does that make sense? You get it, right? You buy it, feels good. You get it. Go, I don't know why I bought this crap in the first place. If I bought something else, maybe I'd feel better. Because then maybe I'd be John Hamm. Or I'd be Michael Jordan. I would feel better. Or I'd be my neighbor down the street who has stuff that I want to. But it doesn't work. And you know this. Jesus says that's not life. Jesus came to bring us abundance, but not an abundance of stuff. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Like have abundance in our lives, and we are to have all of that. He wants us to have all the grace and all the mercy all the friendship that comes with community. He wants us to have all of that. And he wants it to be overflowing in our lives because the world needs more grace. The world needs more mercy. The world needs more love. 
And if it's overflowing out of our lives, it is life and world changing. Let me close with one more place um, that Jesus taught this. In Matthew 6, Jesus said this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Did you ever notice that you put out a birdhouse and they don't start building more birdhouses? The birds don't look and go, well, this is what we've been missing all along, and all of a sudden you've got like a whole neighborhood of birdhouses? Well, they don't do that on their own because they don't eat them. They've got everything that they already need. And he goes on and he says, are you not much more valuable than they are? Can, can any one of you worry by adding a single hour to your life? No. And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his splendor, not even Solomon was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans, they run after these things. The, the people who are on the treadmill of life, constantly looking for the next best thing, who are ignoring the way of God, they chase after all this. Your heavenly Father knows that you need these things, but seek first. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all this other stuff will take care of itself. The treadmill runs backwards. <laughs> He's like, you can run this way, and you lose all this. Or, or if you start going this way, something happens, and the treadmill runs the other direction. And the grace, and the mercy, and the love of God, all of this gets added to that. Seek first his kingdom. All right, so let's, where does this take us? The accumulation of stuff costs a lot. We all know that. We have credit cards, we have bank accounts. But the only cost of contentment is the word no. No, I don't need that. No, I don't want that. No, it can wait. And if we don't learn the art of saying no like that, we will never practice contentment. We will never experience the trust, the peace, and the tranquility that God wants to give us. We will never fully accept the invitation from God to mental, physical, and spiritual rest of the Sabbath. We have to learn the practice of no. So how do we practice this? During these weeks, I've invited you to different kinds of practices. Just like the weeks before, I have a particular practice that I want to invite you into. Now, this is not saying, hey, I want you to sign up. I'm not going to call you if you don't do this. I'm inviting you into the practice. This is just like the, the, the Sabbath boxes. It's something you can do that I believe will change how you begin to think about Sabbath. So just like the weeks before, I want to invite you into this. This practice applies a principle. And this principle is based on a guardrail. And this guardrail 
is the guardrail of giving before getting. So see, some of us, we think about getting, and then we give thanks, and then, but what he's saying is, I want you to give before you get. Give thanks before you get. But we're going to apply this as well in a financial sense. And this is it. Listen to this. Rather than giving at the end of the month, after all the advertisers have shown you what you didn't know you needed, this guardrail invites you to give before all of that. Now, we call this percentage giving. Percentage giving is about having a plan. The Old Testament and the ancient world for the ancient Israelites spoke about tithing. That in that function, that way, that law doesn't apply how we think about it, but the guardrail still exists because Jesus taught that we should live out the reality of the Sabbath. And the reality of the Sabbath is giving before getting. And what's cool about this is it follows you through the ups and downs of life. I've taught it before, we'll talk about it at some point, but my idea here is not to teach some kind of strict mentality to this, but instead talk about how we put practice into place. So if you're going to practice giving before getting, what I want you to do is this. I want you to pick a percentage. I, it doesn't matter if it's 2, 5, 10, 13, 8. Pick a percentage and be a person who gives before you get. So at the end of the month, you say, this is already set aside. I've already done this. I'm not going to allow the advertisers, the people trying to get me on this to go that way. I'm already headed in this direction. And to practice this takes the art of saying no. So we come to Black Friday just this week, you're gonna find yourself saying no that you, so you can be in a position to say yes at the beginning of next month. You will have put a guardrail into practice, a guardrail of giving before getting. Does that make sense? And then here's what's really cool about this. We move from this idea of giving before getting we practice this on Black Friday because this week gives us the perfect opportunity to do this. To say, you know what? No, I don't need that. No, I don't want that. And then we go into November and we're able to say, hey, I I'm putting this practice into place. I gave myself a little margin because of this last weekend and now I can move into this in the way that God wants me to move into this. And I think this will be really cool if we begin to do this. I want to add a piece to it real quick, and then Kurt's going to sing us out this morning. Um, I talked a couple weeks ago that as a church, uh, many of you know that we're about $15,000, $16,000 behind where we need to be going into next year. Um, this is a reality of, of relaunching, of starting again, buying a trailer, having to uh, do stuff with the kids' ministry area, all the curriculum we have, all these pieces. Um, it just is a reality of where we are. Some of it's income that our income is down from where it was in the past, so we've had to make some adjustments there. We have savings to make up some of that. But just like going into November with margin and saying that you're, I want your life and my life to be in a position where I'm going into where God is leading us, what if as a church we could do the same? What if as a church going into 2024, instead of saying, well, we've still got this, 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 this uh, $15,000 gap sitting with us, what if we could get rid of that? What if we could slice that gap so that we go into 2024 with a lot more energy and a lot more momentum for us? So I wanna invite you into a challenge. 
The challenge is what we're calling a 30-day challenge. It's going to start on Black Friday. We're just going to count 30 days from it. And the challenge is, if you are a percentage giver, to begin to pray about. What is my percentage giving? Where am I at? And how can I make an impact and difference to this? If you're not giving to Southeast, I want to encourage you to give. This is a time to start to give, to make an impact and a difference on that budget so that we slice through that deficit. And we come into next year with all kinds of strength and all kinds of energy. See, our planned giving that we have is prevention. Our, our planned giving that we do, setting that percentage, gives us that prevention. So we have a couple things we're doing. We're putting prevention in place here, and then we're also talking about intervention. We're meeting the needs that we have, and we're putting the prevention in the place so we don't have to worry about that in the future. And then what's really cool is, after Cyber Monday, if we give before getting, and we get to Cyber, or get past Cyber Monday, we get to Giving Tuesday, we get to do it with all kinds of other organizations too. We get to look at around all these organizations that we at Southeast have supported, that I want to encourage you to support, and we get to give to them. We get to say, I don't need all this stuff because I'm investing in good things of grace and mercy and love that I see here. And what would happen, and then I'll close, what would happen if as individuals, as families, as people in this church, if we moved ourselves away from this place, this constant treadmill, and we walked in to the Sabbath in this way, giving before getting.